1: Welcome to Western Contours Podcast, sharing experiences, providing insight, and looking for solutions to become better hunters. We talk gear, on and off season preparation, tips and tactics, conservation, and finding inspiration in the outdoors as sportsmen and women. Thank you for joining us as we share our love for all things Western hunting. Hey guys, thanks for joining Western Contours as we bring you Elk Holland Academy's Feature Friday. This week, Michael talks about wolves, water, and decoys while hunting elk. Enjoy the episode.
2: Hello, everybody. My name is Michael Batiste, and this is Wapiti Wednesday Q and A. This is your first time joining us. Welcome. We're glad you're here. The way Wapiti Wednesday normally works is we start with a topic, and we discuss that topic, and throughout the Wapiti Wednesday Q&A broadcast, it doesn't matter what platform you're on, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube, you have the ability that you can put questions in during the chat. Tonight's topic, we're actually going to focus on your questions. So uh, I kind of made a couple of posts today. We had, um, you know, some pretty good responses. So we're going to start with those. I actually see some more questions kind of coming in. Um, you doing a seminar in Alpine, Wyoming this summer for downwind archery. Uh, Merit, not in Alpine. It's actually in Aetna for Archery Unlimited. It is July, 29th, or, or July 19th and 20th. Friday night, the 19th, and then Saturday morning, the 20th. During Saturday, we will actually do some broadhead testing, kind of some pack dumps. Uh, Wayne Carlton is also going to be there. So, if you guys are in that Eastern Idaho, Wyoming area. Make sure you get to Archery Unlimited in Aetna, Wyoming. And uh, it's gonna be Wayne Carlton and myself teaming up on that. So, um, okay. So also, if this is your first time or you guys are enjoying the content, make sure that you like, subscribe, or follow, and be sure to turn on notifications so that way you know every time we go live or upload a new video. So. All right, let's grab this question here real quick and then we'll dive into the others that I have. So, hey, do you ever have something else that gets in your blood that pushes the elk hunting to the backyard? Do you ever have something else that gets in your blood that pushes the elk hunting to the backyard? Uh, Just upland, not really sure what uh, what you're asking there. So... Uh, how are the frozen good to treating you? Uh Freddie Swollen. So, all right, so here we go. Let's uh let's let's jump into some of these questions. So, so the first thing, last week I was talking about selecting out-of-state units, and you know, I talked about going beyond the success statistics that you see and dive deeper for more information. And I had an individual reach out to me and he said he was one of those individuals. He had picked a unit in New Mexico based solely off um, the success stats. Well, come to find out, there's hardly any public ground in this area at all. It's pretty much all private and he was kind of mentioning that, you know, he didn't even want to go out on the hunt. And we kind of had a little discussion. And so if that does happen, all hope is not lost. And what I told him to do is to reach out to the fishing and game and the biologist in that area and ask them if they have... um landowners that are having problems with wild game being destructive on their property. If that is happening, that could be a good in on some of this private property. Now, it may result that you have to end up paying a trespass fee or this or that, or maybe not even. You might even get access to that private property. But I would say exhaust all resources that you have before you decide to you know go out there's still quite a bit of time between now and and then before um, you know the hunt starts so use those resources get on the phone with you know those fish and game and the biologists and and you might actually find that some of those private property are actually part of an access yes program so, so definitely take that next step. So just upland. Oh, like, like upland or waterfowl or possibly hound hunting. something is different than big game. Um, no, for me, no, nothing interferes with you know elk hunting during during September. That's uh, my main focus. I, I did used to uh, upland bird hunt quite a bit uh, a few years back, but it was primarily in October, so it never really did interfere, um, you know, with my archery hunting in September, um, even, even on the small handful of rifle hunts that I've, I've, I've been on, um, you know, the big game was, was the focus because those waterfowl seasons typically go well into the winter. So I was okay with missing some of that time at the start of the, of the bird season. So, uh, to, do. To you guys in eastern Idaho and Wyoming, I got the name wrong on the seminar this summer. It is with Archery Unlimited. My bad in, in Wyoming. So, not a problem. Okay. So, we're going to go to the Instagram questions first. And then we'll jump over to the Facebook questions. So, uh, first one comes in. And it is, what to do when wolves are keeping the bulls silent? So, um so first off, really, what you have to do here is you have to rewire your brain. And what I mean by that is we're all so focused on thinking, oh, the bulls are quiet, they're silent, because we're not hearing those loud, high-pitched bugles. So if we're not hearing those, light, those loud bugles, in our mind, it's, oh, the elk are quiet. They're not responding. So it's it's rewiring your brain to listen for other cues. So remember that a response is not just a vocal response. It's not just a bugle. A bull can respond numerous different ways. So yes, he could bugle. Um, you know, he could just do some low note growls some huffs, some raking, or just come to you. Those are all still responses. But what typically happens is when you're in an area that there are wolves actively there, the elk will generally go up over the top and into the next drainage you know, to get away from those. And they're not going to be local. So if you're running around with wolves and you're broadcasting loud bugles, you're actually kind of hurting yourself. So you're actually kind of ringing that dinner bell to keep those wolves hanging around, and the elk are basically just going to be into the next drainage or this or that. So uh, well, you have to get into more uh, predator hunting. Oh, I do a ton of predator hunting during the uh, the winter. So nothing interferes with uh, with September and elk hunting. so now the other thing to remember with Calling elk within wolf country, you know, we did that episode a while back about, you know, calling strategies for elk in wolf country. Remember, you have to focus on those lower audible type sounds, um, you know, those those huffs and those grunts, and and if you do bugle, you're not going to have a ton of volume on it. So. <laughs> so and remember the places where you choose to do your vocalizations is important too because elk and wolf country are going to be in that thicker timber that is really knocking the sound down it's not carrying. so the things to do in in you know when the wolves are keeping the bulls quiet, you have to be very, very aware of where you're calling from. Okay. You've heard me say it before. Match your surroundings. Be aware of what's going on around you. Match what's going on. Really pay attention to where you're doing your vocalizations. Get in that heavier timber. Bring your volume down and focus on those lower growls, raking, those kind of notes that aren't going to carry very far. So, okay. So, Rod, hopefully that helps you out. So, um, Okay, next one is, what are some strategies for more lowland elk, more brushy environment and not so many trees? You can still have great success calling in lowland and brushy sagebrush situations. Your setups are going to be critical okay you can use the sagebrush and the topography even in lowlands you still have depressions and little creek drainages things that you can use to set up that basically that elk is going to have to Come close. Now, the hard part with this too is if you choose, even in this lowland, you choose a depression, but they've got a little knob that they can get up onto and see all the way down in there. They'll do that. They'll get up there and they can see for a long ways from a distance. So that's why your setups are even more critical in that situation. So, okay, you can still be effective, use what vegetation is there. And use the topography, so it takes a lot more planning and a lot more patience. Okay, but you can certainly set up in the right place, and you know pull the pull those bulls close enough uh, in those areas that you can get a shot. So, okay, uh, to two. Let's see. The biting bugs at the bear bait side are terrible, so I've started using a thermocell, which got me wondering if they're a good tool for elk hunting from a stand or blind, ever used one. Yes, uh, Scott, I have used uh, the thermocell. They actually have a new model. I have one of their original models. Uh, I've had great success with it. Um, I haven't really sat a stand or blind too much for elk. Um, just because, like I said, as soon as I'm sitting up there, I, I know there's a bull bugling up over the top of the next ridge, and I, I just, I got to go over there. So, uh, Brian, I've learned so much I didn't know just from watching your videos. I don't have anything to ask, but I'm absorbing all that you say. i going to try to put it to use this coming season. Brian, I appreciate that. So, uh, to, to love the meat care live broadcast from Patreon. You bet, Charles. Hopefully there was, uh, some good helpful tools in that. that was kind of a fun, fun one. Um, nothing, including work getting in the way of elk hunting. Chris, I agree. I literally quit a job one time. <laughs> I like it. Uh, Jay, Mike, do you do the breeding sequence on a solo elk hunt with any luck? Yes. Um, Actually, the last couple of years there's there's been a couple of times where um i've I've been you know by myself because of you know hunting partners having to go home and the other one coming up. and so I have been solo and and yeah, the breeding sequence. Um, I can think several times i I can right off the get-go, I can think of five bulls within the last three to four years that I've called into fifteen yards or less doing the breeding sequence, you know solo. Um, again, it is that. Uh, you know, selection of where I'm calling from, uh, it's even more critical to kind of pinch them into those pinch points and funnel points where I want to go. So, uh, Nimrod, Nimrod Outdoors, talk calling early season archery. My boy drew a limited entry archery bull elk tag this year. So, um Early season, what time of year? Uh, give me a little bit more information, Nimrod. Are we talking about uh, middle of August? Are we talking first of September? Let, let me know what kind of early season you're talking about. So, uh, Merritt, when I'm out and that bull hangs up at hundred yards, I found using the glunk sound by tapping on the end of my tube and it really fires them up. Do you use it? Yes, the glunking is a major part of the breeding sequence that I do. Um, just because it is one of those sounds that only happens during September. It only happens during the rut. The bulls recognize that sound. They know what that sound is. Um, And it it really helps create that curiosity and also kind of that excitement. Um, But it is, excuse me, it is one of those sounds that you don't just want to run around doing it all the time. It is a key sound. Uh, to use at a certain time, so. But yes, glunking is a great sound to, uh, to use, so. All right, uh, to do, to do. What about elk in cornfields? I used to haul silage for dairies and I used to try and listen for elk and never heard nothing. Um the thing with cornfields is is usually they're going to be in those at nighttime while they're feeding. So, um just because of the amount of activity during the farm during the day, uh, I've seen them mostly come down to cornfields at night and feed and then go back up to their bedding areas. Um, so but it's something that you could certainly could do if you set up trail cameras, find their Access points and exit points. Um, you know, you could set up in an ambush type situation, and definitely. So, you're not actually in the cornfields, but you're catching them on the edge when they're coming to it or coming out of it. So, Mr. Tom, how you doing? So, uh, let's see. I thought I saw another one. Doesn't the wolf hunt go at the same time as the elk hunt in Idaho? Yes. Wolf season is open at the same time. Uh, Lars, I've got a southern British Columbia hunting trip this year. I can go September 10th through the 20th or the 22nd to October 2nd. What would be a better choice? Um, God, because the autumn equinox is right in between those two but you also have kind of a dark night that's, you know, a dark moon that's going to hit in that 10 to 20. Um, I, I've kind of talked to my hunting partners. We're, we're kind of focusing on that 10 to 20 timeframe this year to be kind of our, our long hunt. So that's, that's what, uh, that's what we're focusing on that timeframe, Lars, that September 10th through the 20th. So. Uh, Danny Coyman, when is the grunt tube challenge? (sighs) Not sure yet. I have a lot of things I need to get up in the mountains and film, so, and that's that's one of them. So, I have actually three prototypes that I need to get filmed and have you guys listen and vote. Um, So, yeah, I'll try to get that done as soon as possible, Danny, so. Okay, so questions from Facebook for today. Uh, Is there ever a time, I know you're not a big fan of decoys, but is there a time when one could and should use one calling in a bull or using the breeding sequence? So I actually am a fan of decoys um, and I have used them quite a bit in the past on -on one-on-one situations and two-on-one situations. So, yeah, you could you could certainly add a decoy into your calling setup um, at any time. It, it is an, it's an effective tool because um, basically, I mean, you know, that elk is going to get to that certain point where he thinks he should be able to, you know, see that elk I- that's making the noise. And that decoy is a great tool. I will use decoys quite a bit in areas that are a little more open. So, um, but a majority of the hunting that I do is in heavy timber. And that's why I don't use a decoy a ton. But if I am out in a little more open area, for example, that lowland that we were talking about earlier, a decoy would be a great addition to use in that scenario there. So yes, um, definitely add decoys. Uh, and it doesn't matter if you know you're doing the breeding sequence or you know you're just focusing on the cow sequence that we've talked about. Uh, the decoy is a great addition to uh, both of those. So. Uh Large. <laughs> I, I I get it, Lars. My uh my my twin girls were born September 15th. So I understand that. So uh Sean King, what are some clues to whether a bull is going to want to fight or take his cows and leave? Basically, simply how his bugle, how he's responding to you. So if he is very aggressive, you're getting you know short high-note, high-energy type bugles that fall off really quick, that bull is basically in a fighting mode. He's in an aggressive mode. If the bull is timid and you're getting kind of just some low responses, low growls, kind of timid responses, that's usually a good indication that, you know, he's probably gonna round up his cows and stick around because he's intimidated, he doesn't wanna lose his cows, you're maybe being too aggressive with him. Um, so just focus on the type of vocalizations that you're getting back. So, in uh, on the Patreon page, we cover all those vocalizations. So if you wanna know kinda, you know, what those different sounds are, what they mean and how to do them. And, and it's not so much that you have to, really be proficient and do all of these sounds but having the ability to recognize them sounds you 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 have a much better understanding of what the scenario is and what's going on and if you can recognize the situation and you 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 know what's going on it's really really going to help you on how you adjust your calling approach and what you're doing To bring that bull in. So, Guy, have a good week or have a good evening. Thanks for jumping on, bud. So, um, how far are elk typically going to travel from feed to bed to water? Um, Dave, short answer as far as they have to. So, that is something that is going to vary from area to area to area. Um, I mean, it's it's not a general rule of thumb because, you know, some areas, you know, like we, where we hunt, there's a bunch of springs and creeks and water. But then you go down south into more arid climate and, you know, water's a vital resource. So they definitely have to travel farther. Um, I've seen some groups travel as far as a mile, you know, to go get water. So there's not really one definitive set answer to that saying, this is how far. It's it's just really going to vary from area to area to area. So, uh, let's see. Okay. So, those were the questions that we had come in earlier. Let's see what else we got. Uh, Thermocell rocks. Should you keep the decoy beside you when hunting solo? Um, no, you don't want it right by you because really what you're doing is you want to use that decoy to focus their attention. So, usually, you'll want to set that decoy up, get downwind from the decoy and up in front of it, you know, a little ways. So, you might go 15 yards downwind and, you know, 10, 15 yards away from it. Because uh, basically what you're doing is trying to you know, keep that bull's attention because you're not going to make any more sound. As soon as he comes up and locks in on that decoy, you're not going to make another sound. You're going to let that decoy work. But here's where the decoys get tricky. The decoy that I will typically use in this situation when solo hunting is just the rump from Montana decoy. The reason is, is that bull is going to wanna make eye contact with that cow. Well, if you have the full silhouette with eyes and ears and this and that, and that thing is just frozen solid, there is absolutely no movement. That bull is going to stop and stare at that decoy for a little bit, and when he doesn't see a head move or even a flicker of an ear, something is not going to be right. And he's going to lock eyes with it and he's not going to see it blink. That's why I like the rump. The other thing that's nice about the rump is, you know, that bull recognizes that, okay, that cow's head is on the other side. He may sit up there and bugle at her a few times and where she doesn't even give him the time of the day, then boom. He's going to come right down and he's going to want to walk so that he can get to a position with her and get that eye contact. So with you being away from the decoy, basically means he's going to walk right past your shooting lane to try to get that eye contact with that cow decoy. So the one I highly recommend for hunting solo, again, is the Elk Rump from Montana Decoy. So uh, I've heard and read quite often that a caller should try to sound like multiple elk, but when I try, it seems like one elk making multiple sounds, which would be confusing to a bull, in my thinking. You, you got to understand that they think or, or they hear differently than we do. So, and what you're doing to basically sound like more than one elk is you're using different pressures with your tongue and different air pressures to change the pitch on that reed. Now, if you're going to sound like multiple elk, you can sound like two or three different cows, but your bull sound is going to remain the same. So basically, you're painting a scenario of a bull with one or two cows right there. And again, it's just all tongue pressure and air pressure. Now. We may not be able to hear those subtle differences because remember, it's it's hard for us when we're doing the sound because we're projecting that sound away from us. If you want to know what it sounds like, set your phone up and record, and then start playing with those different um, tongue pressures and air pressures. You know, so basically, your starting notes on your cow sound. Um, you know, gonna go from a high note to a low note and you can change the duration of them. So even by changing the way you know, your mouth is sitting will change the tone just a little bit of how that call is coming out. So, uh, Danny, twin girls. I have two sets of twins: eleven-year-old girls and another set of boy girls. So, yeah, I've got uh, I've got sixteen-year-old twin girls. So, Matthew Flowers, what's the farthest solo pack out you have done? Um, only like a mile and a half. So that's you know kind of one of those things um we were packed back in on an atv trail uh, seven eight miles back in on camp and then we would basically you know hunt from there so i only had to bring that elk about a mile mile and a half off the face down to the trail made a few trips and then i just walked back to camp and got the four-wheeler to finish doing but that's one thing when you're solo hunting is you you really need to know your limits and and really calculate all that's going to be involved to get an animal off but also still keep yourself safe and avoid injury so um it's not really a time for a macho test um your your safety back there is is the biggest thing. So, um, so not not that far, mile mile and a half. So, I'm looking at an area that's four miles in. I'm going solo. So okay, four miles in. Uh, again, there, there's a lot of factors. You know, what's the weather? What's the temp? If it's early in the year with the temps being warmer and hotter. Your window for getting that meat out is a lot smaller. But if it's later in the year when, you know, temps are um, lower and it's getting colder at night, you actually have more time to get that meat out. So later in the year when temps start dropping and it gets colder, um, that's where you can now go in a little bit farther. You can go a little bit deeper. You can stretch that distance a little bit because you have that additional time. So, um, in fact, we just talked about that last week in the uh, private Patreon members Q&A. Last week's uh, Q&A with them was all about backcountry meat care. And that's some of the things we talked about was, you know, what temperature it needs to be at night, um, you know what are what are some some of the ways back in there to you know kind of help extend and you know get that meat cooled down and how much time you have. So, uh, all right, Jason, thanks for all the information. You are very welcome. Thank you for tuning in. So. Uh, hey, Mr. Mike, caught up on Patreon videos today and those e-scouting videos were a huge game changer. Thanks for sharing those tools. ECA is now my favorite place to be Wednesday night. Rock on, brother. Mike, I appreciate it. Yeah, there's there's uh, there's some tools in there that, like you said, are definitely, uh, you know, game changer. In fact, I was on uh, the one that is my favorite that I talked to you about, kind of looking at that new area that we just switched to last year and it, it just got some of the places that we found i'm excited to uh get up there and get scouting and, and hunt those areas this year so uh merit do you use a cow and heat urine out of a spray bottle to help a bull come in no i don't um and actually you need to be careful because a lot of states are outlawing the cow and heat urine in the spray bottles uh, cannot be liquid form um so definitely double check your state laws and make sure that they have not outlawed that because a lot of states last year said no liquids gels are okay and it almost has to be a synthetic so i used to use them um but i just had some problems where a bottle is leaked in the pack and and just some things with it and honestly um wind is big with me and the way I'm always setting up the winds, you know, in my favor. So, I mean, even spraying in the air is is not going to uh, help. Now, Hot on the Trail sense um, actually has a couple of elk sticks that look like deodorant sticks. I use those quite a bit. Um, I will use the bull blend in areas where I'm finding a lot of rubs. And sometimes I'll use the Cowan Estrus on travel corridors, so it's um, you know one of those things that you can just smear it onto uh, the bark of a tree or a bush. Uh, the nice thing about those is they're not really really overpowering like some of the liquids are, and it seems like they the smell just lasts uh, a, a little longer. So definitely go check out Hot on the Trail scents and uh, those are the ones that I really recommend so how often should you call when you're trying to locate a bull and do you only bugle so uh, again um, this is not something that there is a definitive set that says you're going to locate here then you're going to walk 600 yards and you're going to you know bugle again and walk 600 yards it, it, it again, it depends on vegetation, on topography. And, and, you know, sometimes it's just a feeling you get, you're walking around. And it's like, mm, I need to throw a bugle out here. So, but typically if I'm going from, you know, if I tried to locate inside thicker timber, heavier timber, and I got to the edge of that timber where it opened up, that's usually a place I'm going to you know, try to locate again, because now that it opened up, that sound's gonna carry a little farther. Same thing with working up ridge lines, or if I'm you know, working around a finger, as soon as, if I called from this side of the finger, as soon as I work around that finger, I'm gonna locate again, um, just because that sound's going to be able to reach different places. Um, do I just bugle only? No, there are some cow sounds, you know, that I do. And, you know, we actually kind of discuss all of that over on the, on the Patreon page. Exactly, you know, what I do to locate. But basically, it's just a couple of specific cow sounds. And just to kind of warm up that um, diaphragm read and see if there's anything close by. So, uh, Westerner, I had a bull freak out. With that cow facing ahead, Montana decoy. No movement thick enough uh, that I shouldn't have used one. Two more steps, and my buddy would have sent one. Now, the the decoy with the head and the face can be a good decoy if it's right next to the collar. Um, just like the butt head from Native by Carlton, we use we use the butt head quite a bit because it has you know the 3D nose, and with the collar I can have it on the stake and I can just move my hand a little bit that then takes that 3D face and actually turns it, so it gives that movement with the with the Montana. Or the two-dimensional decoys, the pictures, you can actually reach up behind it and flick the ear, and so by you flicking the ear on the back, it it it, it gives the appearance that that cow is flicking her ear to get a fly off. But that's a small little subtle movement that you can add into uh, your your decoy. So. Um, I just I catch myself using um, that butt head more and more because I really like that that three dimensional face and and it just gives me another movement that I can add in so um, so yeah if I'm two on one um, you know definitely um, using that decoy back with the collar Gentry how you doing bud so uh, to two. That's so beautiful, game changer. Brandon Baxter, how you doing bud? So, okay. So we're kind of caught up on questions. So um, go ahead and throw some more questions in. So upcoming this Saturday, I will be in La Grande, Oregon um, at Alpine Archery and Fly. They have their Elk Day event. They actually have a lot of seminars throughout the day. It, uh, you know, gonna be a cool event. Some vendors coming in, all kinds of seminars. Uh, There's seminars on trail cameras. I'm doing calling strategies. Wayne Carlton is gonna be there talking about uh, Elk Sounds. Um, They have a lot of different vendors there. And then at the end of the day, they are doing a uh, kind of a wild game feed. So any of you guys that are in that area, come see us. I think doors open at nine, kind of goes from nine to four, I think at four o'clock heading over for the feed. So uh, Nimrod, have you ever seen or used the ultimate predator decoy that hooks onto your bow? Yes, I actually have um, the ultimate predator. I have the cow and the turkey. And I actually have used those sometimes on when I'm solo. Um, I've only used them a couple of times. Um, in fact, two years ago, it worked great. I got into uh, uh, three bulls. In fact, this is, this is where I was doing the breeding sequence and uh, had a bull come in. And just cause of the brush couldn't get a shot. So I kind of let them roll around and I put that, pulled that decoy out real quick and threw it on the front of the bow and then just kind of followed followed them. And I ended up getting within about 35, 40 yards of a uh, pretty good sized spike. Uh, but I knew that other other bull that I uh, was kind of focusing on, he was just kind of on the other side. So we were kind of playing that cat and mouse game. But yeah, that decoy allowed me to get really close um, it is nice because it does kind of conceal you and you can kind of tuck right in behind that. And again, same thing because it's close enough to you, you can reach up and and swat that ear and, and move that ear. So, yeah, Ultimate Predator Decoy is um, another decoy that I do recommend. So, uh, great. How about you? It's been a while. Gentry been been hanging in there, just recovering, bud. So... Uh, Victor, I will be there. Look forward to meet you. Yeah. Victor looking forward to meeting you too. Nacho. You doing anything in Colorado? Nothing in Colorado scheduled this year. I did have one group reach out to me that is in Southwestern Montana. I don't know exactly where they are. Uh, they said they would get back to me this month about trying to schedule there. So, but yeah, nothing, nothing scheduled in Colorado this year. Um, I do know that I've talked to, um, you know, Mark and I have been talking several times uh, about me coming over to Native by Carlton in Montrose. And so nothing's scheduled yet, um, but maybe maybe after season may come over. So Western Air, any seminars in Montana? No, not yet. Just that one group from Southwestern Montana that reached out. So Matthew Flowers, I need an ECA hat. So. Email me at, uh, so the email address is michael at elkcallingacademy.com. Shoot me an email. Um, I can shoot you back an invoice for the hat. I still have <coughs> a few of the first ones. The only size I have in left uh, only goes up to seven and a quarter. So if you need a size that is um, larger than seven and a quarter, you're going to have to wait until the next run. Uh, but hopefully by then we'll have the uh, website all up and running by then. So uh, how are you liking your new bow if you got one? So i um, still shooting that Matthews Traverse. Um, and in fact, for those of you that don't know, um, I'm working with Archery Unlimited over there in Etna, Wyoming with this Traverse. And so what we're gonna do is I'm gonna shoot 3Ds with it this summer and then I'm going to hunt with it this fall. And then as soon as elk season is over in September, so it'll be right there in October, we are going to raffle off that bow. It is only going to be 100 slots. Tickets are $20 a piece, and we're going to draw one name, and you are going to win that Traverse. And it is fully set up. It's going to come with the QAD integrated rest. Uh, trophy taker react single pro sight a crossover stabilizer and a tight spot uh, three arrow quiver so that will be in october so if you want a shot at uh throwing 20 bucks in the hat and see if you can win that complete setup bow we'll do that in october uh i had an another hunter actually come to full draw on a full body decoy i was using i had to whistle to get his attention y- yeah that definitely can happen and that's that's again being being aware of your surroundings you know being around of what's going on i know the one year that we hunted colorado <laughs> um danny i like it so um the, the one year that we hunted Colorado, it was, it was uh, you know, crazy because that muzzleloader season opened up halfway through our archery season was open for 10 or 14 days. And kind of the experiences that we had with a couple of the muzzleloader hunters, those first couple of days, we quickly put those decoys away and, and never pulled them out. So, yeah, definitely always use caution when using decoys. So, all right. Um, Other things coming up, uh, June 22nd, so in a couple of weeks, Northern Idaho, uh, Hayden, Idaho, um, have that, it's more like an elk hunting class. It's going to be a four, four and a half hour class. Uh, There are a few tickets still available for that one. Um, If you go over to our Facebook page, go into the events tab, you'll find that one there. Tickets for that are $50 each, but like I said, it's a full-blown four-and-a-half-hour class. Lunch will be part of the deal, Um, so that one's coming up as well. So, that's kind of what we have on the docket for the next couple of weeks. So, still trying to sell my Triax to get a Traverse. Yeah, Danny, I've actually seen quite a few Triaxes for sale lately out there on some of the Facebook groups, so... All right, guys, we only have about 15 minutes left before uh, we run out of time on Instagram. So last round for questions here. I'm just going to be do a quick cruise through and make sure I have not missed anything. Um, also, on the Patreon page, again, you can just go to elkcallingacademy.com. We are two members away uh, from drawing a winner for those dozen arrows from DCA Custom Arrows. And in fact, that reminds me, um, Western Contours podcast, Guy just sat down with Kyle from DCA Custom Arrows. Um, That podcast just went live yesterday, I think head over there and, and give that podcast a listen. And you guys will get a much better understanding of exactly the custom arrows that DCA custom does. Kyle does amazing work. Um, But also, okay, he's called himself this, so I'm going to call him this. Kyle is an arrow nerd. Okay, he has done a lot of... Testing and I mean he's an engineer. He wants to know how things work and why they work and how this goes with this and if you change this, what does it do? So, but go listen to that podcast and you will learn a lot about arrows and components and FOC and kinetic energy and momentum and spine and spine indexing and not tuning. And once you listen to all this, you will really understand and appreciate truly the service that Kyle is doing at DCA Custom Arrows. So, But like I said, over on our Patreon page, we are only two members away from drawing a member. And that person is going to get a dozen arrows from Kyle. I am going to pay up to $250. So if you pick... A top of the line arrow because that fits in yours and it's more than that. Say it's $320 for the dozen or whatever. I'm paying $250. You would be responsible for the difference. But somebody is going to win a full-fledged dozen custom arrows from Kyle. So if you haven't joined the Patreon page, outcallingacademy.com and we have all kinds of tutorials on there about all of these e-scouting tools that you see a lot of these guys talking about. Uh, every two weeks we have a private Q&A session specifically just for those Patreon members. Uh, we also have all of the calling tutorials with sounds. I even go through the, the whole sounds that I use within the breeding sequence. Um, and In fact, I'm getting getting ready to fo- you know film that uh, tutorial Tutorial. Uh, I was going to go up and do it last weekend, but just didn't quite feel good enough yet to go up and film that one to where one of my hunting partners is going to act like a couple of different bulls. And you're going to actually see me kind of role playing and really interacting, you know, with that. So, uh, Danny, why worst enemy is the wind? I just can't figure it out. Wind is your worst enemy because I, I mean, you can hide, you can break up your silhouette. You can do all All of that. But the one thing about the wind is you will never, ever, ever be 100% scent free. So, that's why the wind is so important. Um, I don't care how much nonsense you wash yourself down with, wash your clothes with, spray everything down. You will never, ever be 100% scent free. That's why wind is your ally or your enemy, depending on how you choose to use the wind. So... Uh, in your younger days, did you ever use an Abe and Son bugle? Um, no, I actually do have, you know, one of Abe's tubes, uh, tubes here and, you know, some of, his, some of his reads. I actually first started um, with Primo's diaphragms and, um, you know, actually just used um, just basically a wiffle bat for a while. Um, and then I... Became part of the Bugling Bull game call staff with Rocky Jacobson pretty early and then switched over to all of the Bugling Bull game call stuff, which is now Rocky Mountain hunting calls. Um, and so I switched to all those calls early on in my career and and just really started using those. The Aben Sons, that Dominator tube, I actually use it now as a locator but I don't use his mouthpiece. I actually use a mouthpiece off of a power bugle in it for night bugling because it really hits that high pitch really, really well. So, uh, can't fool the nose, absolutely. So, uh, I have a five-year plan going to Colorado with my dad on his 60th birthday. So you think a drop camp would be best for a guide hunt? I have hunted whitetail for years, but never elk, only videos. Yes. Spike camps or, or drop camps, using a guide for drop camps, can be really, really effective uh, because it gets you far enough back in the backcountry that eliminates a good majority of the of, of, of the other hunters out in that area. But the nice thing is, because of that drop camp, is you're riding horseback in, so you're really saving a lot of your energy you know, for the hunt once you're actually back into that area. And plus, it's also nice knowing, too, that once you get an animal or two down, that that guide and the pack string is going to be bringing that weight out. So, um, so yeah, definitely a good, good option. To use, and plus, if you have never ever ridden horseback through the mountains during September with elk running, it is one of the most incredible experiences that you will ever have. I mean, I remember growing up and you know taking taking a few horseback trips, um, you know, with my grandfather to go in and set up their their rifle hunt or a rifle camp and it's during the middle of the rut and riding horses and and hearing bull's bugle it just it's awesome so scott how cool would it be to join patreon and immediately win a set of arrows it certainly can happen i mean basically you're going to have a one in 75 uh chance of winning that so nacho libre just join patreon page how do the private q a's work so um so every other Thursday. So not tomorrow, but next week will be the next private Q and A's. And typically what I do about 15 to 20 minutes, and we do them at the same time is this, it's, it's 730 on Thursdays. uh, But about 715, I typically drop a link on the post page right there. And uh, as soon as I, hit go live, then it only broadcasts to, you know, that page right there. And you can access and watch that either from a computer or from your phone. If you're brand new to it, uh, if you access it on the computer, on the left-hand side, you're gonna see some tab tags. It's gonna say like brand partners, uh, Q and A, instructional videos, any of those that you click. So like if you click on instructional videos, it's going to take you to a page that has all of the instructional videos. Now, if you're accessing it from your phone, at the bottom of the post, you'll see that tag, that same tag. It'll it'll say, like I said, so say you see instructional video or, or Patreon QA. If you click on, especially like the Patreon QA, if you click on that it will pull up all the previous Q&A sessions that we had all right there in that same. So we've kind of bunched all those to make navigating a little bit easier. And also part of the Patreon page with that brand partner deal, make sure you click on that because we do have discounts for all of you guys with all of our partners, so. uh, Joshua Martinez, I wish I had access to horses. Horses are a great tool. But they can also be a pain, um, and, and what I mean is, 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 you always have that stock. You always have, you always have to go back to camp. So if you're on the mountainside and you're in the middle of elk. You can't just stay on the mountainside with them. You have to go back to camp because you have those horses that you have to feed and water and that you have to take care of. That's kind of the nice advantage of doing a drop camp with guides because they're going to take you in and drop you. And then they're going to bring all that stock out so that you don't have to do that so that you can focus on your hunts. So... Um yeah, actually, pack' out apparel just said you can rent llamas in Colorado. Pack llamas are becoming pack llamas and pack goats are becoming extremely popular as well. Um, I've got a couple of buddies that have a couple of strings of goats, and I mean, those goats, you don't have to do anything with them because they'll eat anything. And cool thing is is they will actually follow you around while you hunt, and they are so keen that they will also clue in and let you know when there's other animals around. So, but yeah, llamas llamas are another another good, good viable option too. Um, but again, anytime you rent something like that, remember you have that responsibility and that liability to take care of that stock and ensure that you are bringing them out in a good, safe condition. So, all right, guys. Couple of minutes left, so last round for questions. If you have any other questions, uh, make sure you get them in. Llamas and horses are a wreck when they meet on the trail. Yes. Actually, pack strings, sometimes just horses. One group go go ahead and up the trail, one group coming down the trail. Um, You can meet in some precarious places that uh, could be interesting. And I know I've had a couple of, Rodeos a time or two on the mountainside. Um, they're they're great to have when they're in the mindset that they want to be helpful. Um, but uh yeah, if they kind of get that stubborn streak in them, mountainsides are not a fun place to uh have to deal with that. So all right, guys, not seeing any questions pop in. So oh, here we go. Robert, how's it going? Are you going to make it to the next North, Northwest Mountain Challenge? I'm doing good, bud. Um, no, I am not because on that same day, I have that uh, elk hunting class up in Hayden, Idaho. So, I will not be second year in a row that I have a seminar going on the same weekend as Northwest Mountain Challenge. So, unfortunately, won't be able to make it. Kyle from DCA Custom Arrows, how you doing, bud? So. What kind of bino harness would you suggest? There's actually a lot of good ones out there. The one I use is the Raptor from Black's Creek Guide Gear. Um, I really like that one because it uh, fits a set of 10x42s really really nicely. It has a pocket on the side that I can slide my phone in so that I have quick access to the phone for my OnX maps. Uh, also has a place for my rangefinder. Um You know, I can just fit a lot of things in that bino harness and it's not that big. So, uh, other one, I know Muley Freak has a brand new one out that looks really good. Uh, But the one I personally use is, like I said, the, uh, the Raptor from Black's Creek Guide Gear. So... Muley Freak Traverse Bino Harness. Yeah, I haven't got my hands on it. I haven't seen it firsthand. I've only seen pictures and videos of it. So, um, I can't speak on uh, how well it's made or, or or this or that. And honestly, I don't use binos a ton when I'm elk hunting. Because like I said, I typically hunt thicker timber. Um, not a lot of glassing opportunities. I do have my binos with me. If I don't have that... Bino harness on. And the other nice thing about that Raptor, too, is it does have a pistol holster right in the front. Um, I will actually wear that Bino harness a lot more just for the chest holster for the pistol and a place to put my phone, range finder, wind checker, all that kind of stuff. So. All right, guys, the countdown clock has started on Instagram, so we're going to wrap this up again. I appreciate each and every one of you for tuning in. Thank you for the interactions and thank you for the questions. Uh, Do you get one-on-one calling help with uh, Patreon's website? Patreon, basically the calling lessons are the exact same thing that I teach in the one-on-one lessons. Um, If you go through those tutorials and you still want a one on one, we can do it. And you actually get a discounted rate on the one on one lesson for being a Patreon member. So uh, do you have a hunt you're most looking forward to this year? elk hunt right here in idaho with my hunting partners so all right guys as always keep calling keep practicing most importantly though have fun while you're doing it appreciate appreciate each and every one of you guys we'll see you next week on the next episode of Wapiti wednesday q a brought to you by elk calling academy have a great week everybody
1: follow and subscribe to elk calling academy on instagram facebook youtube and patreon for tips tactics gear reviews and live q a helping you to success faster